0: All right, we are in part five, if you can believe it, part five of Paul's letter to the Philippians. We're in a sermon series we've been in for several weeks where we're just diving into this letter that this very loving pastor wrote to the church that he planted, a church, a group of people that he loved dearly and, and we've just been reading through the, the letter, and we've been reflecting on what it means for us. So what I want to do today is I'm going to—there's a long passage of Scripture, but it's fascinating. So I want you to lean in. I want you to focus with me, and I'm going to dive straight into it. And then we're going to dig in, and, and we're going um, to pull it apart and, and look at it for ourselves. It begins in chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 1. It says this. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in— The Lord. One of the things I love about this letter is that the Apostle Paul uses that word joy or rejoice 16 times throughout the letter. You know, worshiping God is a joyful occasion. Gathering in the house, the the, the scripture says, uh, I was glad when they said, Let me come into the house of the Lord. It's a joyful and rejoicing situation to be following Jesus. He says, uh, Rejoice in the Lord. And then he said, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. I've been telling you to rejoice 15 other times. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice in the Lord, and it is a safeguard for you. Then he switches gears a little bit. This is interesting. The next line is fascinating. He says in verse 2, watch out for those dogs. I mean, that's a whole sermon right there. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain all this because some of you are like dog circumcision. What's going on? Uh, we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself, he says, have reasons for such confidence. If somebody else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in their flesh, he said, I have more. You know what he's saying, right? He's saying anything you do, I can do better. That's what he's saying. He's literally flexing on the Philippian church right here. He's saying, I have more reason. When he says flesh, a lot of times the apostle Paul uses the word flesh. And in this context, he's saying, he's talking about my own personal abilities, my own unaided action, my own pedigree, my own strength, my own accolades, my own achievements. He says, if anybody has reasons to put confidence in their abilities and their strength and their flesh, he said, I have more. And then he gives us his resume. Verse five, circumcised on the eighth day. He said, I I was born into this. Of the people of Israel. I'm in in the tribe. I'm one of God's chosen. Of the tribe of Benjamin, the best tribe and the best people group. A Hebrew of Hebrews, he said. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. Meaning I was in the best sect within the best religion. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. Nobody was more zealous than me. As for righteousness based on the law... I was faultless. I mean, nobody could say anything about me and how righteous I was. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I'm glad he's able to say this. You know, I don't know anybody here who's just like actually, right? But what, watch what he says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Everything that was in my profit column is now in my loss column because I was putting confidence in a lot of things that I thought impressed God, and I realized none of that impressed God one bit. So I had to move it from gains to loss. What is more, he said, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. All of the stuff I was just telling you about, it doesn't mean anything to me. In fact, he said, I consider them garbage. Refuse, throw away. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Having a righteousness of, uh, uh, having a righteousness of my own, that com- not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. All of this other righteousness was me, 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 my flesh, my thing. I throw all that away because I want righteousness through faith in Christ that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. I love this. He's just this is vulnerable. The apostle Paul is saying, I used to be so full of myself. And all of that stuff I threw away because it had no it had no shine compared to the glory of knowing Christ Jesus my lord. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I want to be transformed into his likeness. I want to be like him in his death and so, somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is what I'm going for, he says. Now, not that I've already obtained this, verse 12, I haven't already arrived at the goal but i press on i press on to take hold of that for which christ jesus took hold of me brothers and sisters here's how he ends this part of the letter i do not consider myself to have taken a hold of it i haven't gotten there i haven't crossed the finish line i haven't apprehended it but one thing i do Forgetting that which is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Today I want to preach for just the next few moments on eyes on the prize. Eyes on the prize. Let's take a moment. Let's bow our heads. God, you're so good to us. This day is already beautiful because you're here. Your righteousness, your glory, your beauty, your perfection is what we seek, not on our own, but because of you, because of your righteousness that you've extended to us through our vulnerability, our faith, our repentance, our willingness to follow you. God, we lay ourselves down before you today and ask that you transform us into the image of your son. Make us like you. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus name we pray and everybody said amen. 1993 there was a young woman by the name of Safan Hassan who was born into a rural part of Ethiopia she she grew up in the country as a child she had a bubbly personality she had a deep compassion and empathy for other people and she had a love of running she loved to run at the age of 15 years old, her family began to experience hardship and difficulty in Ethiopia, and her mother sent her to a camp for minors, a refugee camp for minors, to seek asylum out of the country. Sifan ended up 15 years old in the Netherlands, all alone, no money, few possessions, no family. She, she struggled when she got there because she was just this lone young girl who had nothing and no one. Despite these hardships, she dedicated herself to her studies. She continued to develop uh, her empathy for other people. She began to study nursing, and she continued to develop her love for running by participating in track and field. Over the years, she began to, to demonstrate a very high level of talent. She would run the 800 meters. She would run the 1,500 meters. She would run all the way up to the 10,000-meter Race and her coaches began to think this young woman has world-class talent. And they began to train her for a world-class run. In 2020, she proved them right when she qualified for the Dutch Olympic team. Not only did she qualify for the team, but Sifan decided she wanted to do something that had almost never been done before, almost unthinkable. She wanted to compete in the 1500 meter race, the 5000 meter race, And the 10,000-meter race. No woman in Olympic history had ever done that except one other woman. And Sifan said, I want to compete in all of these races. The commentators and the analysts who had been studying running, they understood how good she was. They knew how strong of a runner she was. And they considered her to be a true contender in all three of these races. So when the starting gun sounded at the beginning of the race, Sifan Hassan felt good and confident about her chances. She was running a good race. They were running round and round the track. Everything was in order. But suddenly, right before they moved into the very last round around the track, the last lap around the track, the unthinkable happened. Another runner was cutting in front of her. She tripped over this other runner, and she landed face down on the track as she entered the very last lap of the race. Here's a picture of that devastating moment that she experienced on the track. Her hopes, her dreams, her desires, her, her, her goal was fleeting before her. The entire pack, within seconds, the entire pack of runners had passed her by and were making their final turn into the final lap while Siphon lay wounded and broken on the track, her Olympic dreams slipping by her as the world looked on. In our spiritual life, all of us know what that feels like all of us know in our spiritual life what it looks like to have a goal to have an aim to be pursuing God to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be in pursuit of God and suddenly we trip suddenly we fall suddenly we find ourselves depleted distracted discouraged spiritually maybe we disappoint ourselves Many of us have had the experience of running along the spiritual life and suddenly we're, we're, we're looking at God, we're going after God, and suddenly we just, we, just lose our, we just lose our footing. We just trip and fall. Maybe it's sin in our own life or distraction or the, or the cares of this world just got too, too much in front of us and we were running along a good spiritual track and suddenly we look up and we go, man, I've, I've fallen flat on my face. We tripped ourselves up. Other times people experience what Stefan Experience, which is somebody else tripped them up. People get disillusioned with the church. Maybe somebody that you love, somebody that you admire, somebody that you respected, uh, uh, behaved in a way that that you just you just didn't understand. And, and and suddenly you find yourself disillusioned with God, disillusioned with the church, disillusioned with faith. You find yourself face down on the track and watching. The people who you were running your race with slipping by you. Some of you today are in that position right now. Some of you today are feeling disappointment, discouragement, defeat in your own spiritual life. And if it's not you, it's somebody you know. And if it's not you, it's you tomorrow or next month or next week or next year. All of us will have moments in our spiritual life where we trip and fall face down disillusioned, disappointed, full of spiritual humiliation. If that's you or somebody you know today, I want you to know that you are in the right place. You're in the right place. Because the church is not a place of shame. It's not a place of condemnation. It's not a place of legalism. It's not a place of moralism. It's not a place where somebody goes down and you keep them down. The church is a place where you're reminded that it's not about your flesh It's about your faith. It's not about your strength and how well you did. It's about the strength and how well the Savior did when he put himself on the cross for you. The church is a place where you can can stumble and fall and learn to get back up and put your eyes back on the prize. In this portion of the letter, the Apostle Paul is reminding the Philippian church and he's reminding us that when we stumble and when we fall and when we fail and when we trip, on the spiritual track of life, our race is not over. Our run is not complete. We may be hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We may be perplexed, but we're not in despair. We may be struck down, but we're not destroyed. We don't have to give up in defeat because our God is a victorious God. And he's calling us to keep our eyes on the prize. He's saying don't look to the left, don't look to the right, don't look back, don't look at your old failures, don't look at your weaknesses. I want you to look straight ahead to the author and finisher of your faith. I want you to press on, I want you to keep your eyes on the prize. Can I just tell some of you today that are feeling defeated or despondent or you're just struggling to maintain your footing, you don't have to give up. You don't have to give up. Just because you went down doesn't mean you have to give up. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to put on a facade. You can just enjoy and experience the grace of God who will fill you, empower you, heal you, forgive you, lift you up, and put you back on the track. That's what somebody needs to hear today. And in this portion of the letter, the Apostle Paul is addressing a problem in the Philippian church, but it's a problem that we all face from time to time from time to time, it's that sense of condemnation. It's that sense of shame. It's that sense of I'm not good enough. I don't line up. I don't measure up. And how can I follow God if in my flesh I'm not able to follow him with perfection? You see, in the Philippian church, there was actually a group of teachers that were trying to impose the legalistic, moralizing laws, customs, and rules of the Old Testament on the church. They were called Judaizers. They were legalists, they were self-righteous, prideful, judgmental teachers who were insisting that if you didn't measure up to their standard of righteousness, you would not be able to have a relationship with God. This was obviously discouraging to the early church, and it's discouraging to us. I mean, we've all fallen prey to this before. Anybody ever heard voices of condemnation that are coming from you? Anybody ever condemned yourself? Anybody ever heard voices that just said, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not, you're not righteous enough, you're not holy? This is what the, this is what the, the Judaizers, they were called Judaizers in the, early, in the early church, in the first century. They were called Judaizers because they were trying to tell everybody, you've got to measure up to all of the laws. You've got to follow everything perfectly if, you want to fo- if you're going to follow Jesus. You've got to do it exactly right. And so the Apostle Paul says, watch out for these guys. Verse 2, remember this, when I said dogs, he said, this is who he's talking about. He said, watch out for those dogs. Those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Why does he call them that? Because they were, they were arguing that in order to follow Jesus, you needed, you needed to undergo Jewish circumcision. You needed to strictly observe all of the ritual laws of the Old Testament. You need to strictly observe all the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. You need to observe all the dietary restrictions. You need to uh, observe all of the holidays. In other words, you need to be perfect in order for God to like you. And the Apostle Paul says, that's not how this works. If anybody thinks that they, they've got enough com- they should have confidence in their flesh, it's me. And I don't have any confidence in my flesh. I, I don't have any any right to put any stock in my own ability. They were trying to get the church to perform their way into heaven. To achieve their way into heaven, to accomplish their way into heaven. The problem is you and I will never impress God with our accomplishments. We're never going to impress God with our own righteousness, with our own ability, with our own skill, with our own talent. Can you imagine walking up to the sun with a big lighter and saying, look how hot I am. Look how bright I am. That's what it's like when you're trying to impress God with your own righteousness. And what the Apostle Paul is saying in this passage, if you're taking notes, write this down. He's saying, focus on your faith, not on your flesh. Focus on your faith. On your faith, not on your flesh. Don't focus on what you can do or can't do by your own strength. Focus on what God can do by his strength. Trust in him for what he's doing for you, in you, and through you. A beautiful picture of this biblical uh, fight between flesh and faith comes through David. I was talking about David a couple weeks ago, but this, his story is so rich in so many elements and so many aspects of the faith. He, he's getting ready, if you remember, to, to, to fight Goliath. He's coming to fight Goliath, and we know the story. Uh, but he comes to King Saul, and he says, I want to fight this giant. Well, Saul can only think flesh. Saul can't think faith. He doesn't have the ability to think faith. He's only thinking flesh. So the Scripture says in 1 Samuel it says, So Saul clothed David with armor, with his armor. And he put on a bronze helmet on his head. And he put a, a, a cloak of, of mail over him an armor over him because what he's saying is your flesh is not strong enough you're just a boy you're inexperienced you're you're incapable by your flesh i need to strengthen your flesh so that you can fight the giant verse 39 said david fastened his sword to his armor and he tried to walk but he had not tested this stuff he had not tested these materials and david said to saul i cannot walk with these for i have not tested them so david took them off he said look i'm never going to beat this guy if we're fighting flesh on flesh If my strength is pitted against his strength, I'm dead. If his armor is pitted against my armor, I'm dead. I can't fight through flesh. I need to fight through faith. When David goes to the battlefield, Goliath tries to remind him of his flesh. He says this, when the Philistine looked about and saw David, verse 42, he disdained him, for he was only a youth. You're just a youth. You have no strength. You have no experience. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Look at me and then look at you and then look back at me because I'm about to crush you. That's what he's saying. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. I'm going to crush you and give you away. That's flesh focused talk right there. This is what I can do. That's what you can do. But David's not talking flesh. David's talking faith. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with flesh. You come to me with a sword and spear and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. He doesn't fight by flesh, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. What David is saying, what Paul is teaching is don't focus on your flesh. Don't focus on your own strength, your own ability, your own goodness, your own rightness, your own piety, and your own pedigree. God is not impressed with your accolades. Put your faith in him. Put your faith in him and let him take you forward. The Apostle Paul is literally saying, if anybody should have confidence in their flesh, I should. Circumcised on the eighth day. Like, I was born into this. My parents were doing this before. I mean, I, did, I wasn't converted into this. Like, I've got the pedigree. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. That's where the kings come from. The first king of Israel. Tribe of Benjamin. That's the best tribe. I'm a Pharisee. We're the most... We, we follow the law to the T. I've got every reason to put my faith in my flesh. But I'm not going to do that because that's not going to get me anywhere. Don't try to do that because that's, that's going to trip you up. That's going to defeat you. That's going to make you face down on the track. He says, I could put all of my faith in myself. But here's what he said, whatever were gains to me, verse 7, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Yeah. Faith in Christ. Some of us today, literally, and I'm just telling you because we just, we just do this, we're human beings, we keep struggling with how good we are or not, with how many times we've won or, or lost, how many times we've succeeded or failed. How many times we've run fast? How many times we've fallen? And Apostle Paul said, don't, please, don't, please don't start counting your own flesh. Don't start trying to figure out if you're good enough. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Some of us need that today because you're sitting here struggling going, I'm not good enough. And I'm not righteous enough. And I'm not holy enough. And can I just agree with you? None of us are. None of us are. Let's put our faith in Jesus. When you fall down, you don't have to say now when you put your faith in Jesus, when you face giants, you don't have to be afraid. When you face the, st- the storms and the waves, you don't have to go underwater because you put your faith in Jesus. OK, so this is where he's starting, but then he's going to take it a little deeper and explain to us what this looks like. What does faith look like? What does it what does it mean? Verse eight, he says this, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing somebody say knowing knowing christ jesus my lord for whose sake i have lost all things verse 10 i want to know somebody say no No. i want to know christ yes i want to know somebody say no. no i want to know the power of his resurrection participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead here's what he's saying if you're taking notes focus on your relationship not on your righteousness your relation. I want. I want to know Christ. This is where I'm going to find righteousness in knowing Christ, in knowing Him, in experiencing Him, in following Him. When I was when I was in my 20s and I lived in Los Angeles, I had a friend whose father was a member of a very prestigious country club somewhere near Malibu, and my friend invited me to go to this country club. I'd never been to a country club before. My friend was like, "Let's go to the country club." I'm like, "I can't get in the country club. They don't know me." I don't have any money. I don't have any. I don't have any societal pedigree to get me into this country club. There's no way that I can that I can go. I'm not. I'm not one of. I'm not in. I'm not in the club. <laughs> my friend said, "No, you don't understand. We're not going based on whether you can get in. We're going under my father's name. All I got to do is go sign my father's name, and then we're going to get into the club. So when I <laughs> when I came into the club, they're looking at me going, yeah, no, you know, you don't belong here on his own merits, right?'" But when we signed up under my friend's father's name, they were like, oh, come on in. Come on in, have anything you like to eat. Go on the tennis court. Y'all want to play some racquetball? What you need? We got everything for you. Here's some towels. Here's some hot towels. Here's some mints. Enjoy yourself. That's what it was like. Gourmet food. Everything was open to us because we signed in under somebody else's name. We signed in under the name of my friend's father and he had paid for the club. He had already paid the price to be there. Somebody needs to recognize today. You're not signing into the kingdom of God under your own name. You're not signing into the kingdom of God based upon your own righteousness, based on your own merit. Your name is written on the Lamb's book of life, signed, sealed, and delivered, not because of what you did. It's signed in blood because of what somebody else did on your behalf. He already paid for you to get into the club. In fact, his father built the club, created the club, owns the club, sustains the club. Get into a relationship with him, and his righteousness is counted as yours. Apostle Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to, I, want, I want to know the surpassing worth of knowing him. I want to experience that. I want to know him in his, in his suffering. I want to know him in his resurrection. I want to, I want to know him. Yes. The word he uses over and over is the word the Greek word gnosis. Gnosis. I think we've got that slide. Gnosis. To ex- it means to experientially know. It doesn't mean like, oh, yeah, I read about it somewhere. It means functional or working knowledge gleaned from firsthand personal experience. It means application knowledge gained by a direct relationship. This is what gnosis means. When he says, I want to know God, he's saying, I want to know, I want to intimately know God. I want to know Jesus. I want to not just read about him. Not just watch a YouTube video. I want to experience Jesus. I want to I be transformed by my relationship. He says it all these different ways. He says, I want to gain Christ. I want to be found in him. I want to know him. He's like, I want, I want Christ in me. I want to be in him. I want to I be fully transformed by my knowledge and my understanding and my intimacy, my relationship with Jesus. Let me try to explain what this means for us. If you want to dye a piece of cloth, let's say you want to dye a piece of cloth. You want to change the color of a piece of cloth. You can't just tell the cloth, change color. Be a different color. You can't do that. What you got to do is you got to take that cloth and you've got to put it in the presence of the dye. You've got to let it soak in the presence of the dye. Because after you let it soak in the presence of the dye, the attributes and qualities of the dye will seep into the cloth. And the cloth will be changed by its proximity to the dye. If we want to experience God, if we want true victory, if we want true righteousness, it's not through our own power. It's through proximity. It's through us being in the presence of God. It's just like any other relationship. Put yourself in the presence of the one that you want to be like. Put yourself in the presence of, the, of those who you, want, who you want to emulate. When you, when, in my desk, I have, I have, I think I talked about this once before. It still marvels me. I have one of those uh, wireless phone chargers. And it's just incredible. Because all I got to do is take my phone and I just set it near the, I just set it in the phone charger doesn't even click, nothing clicks. It just lays it on there. Just drop it on there. The physical proximity of the charger to the phone charges the battery of the phone. If you need your spiritual life supercharged, just spend some time in the presence of God. Just spend some time in his presence. Get to know him intimately. Just be with him. Stop striving to, to be righteous on your own. Get in the presence of the righteous one and you start to change from the inside out. You just start to be transformed into the image of God through your proximity, not by your power, but by his presence. Let's get, let's know God. Let's know Christ. Let's know him. Now, if you're like me and you hear a sermon like this and you think about the apostle Paul and you go, man, that dude was like a spiritual giant. I mean, he's talking about knowing Christ and being found in him and upward call of the heavenly this and that in Christ Jesus. Like, I'm never going to be at that level. I'm just, I'm like, I can't get there. I'm, you know, I'm just trying to get by. I'm trying to get my kids to soccer practice. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to move along in life, right? I just don't want to utterly fail. That's all. I'm just trying to maintain, right? Some of us feel that way. We, we read this high-soaring language, and we go, man, I, I can't be like the Apostle Paul. It's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I'm encouraged, I'm inspired, but like when I go home, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, that's not me. I'm not there. I cannot get there on my own. If, if that's you, and I think all of us at, at time to time, that's us. We, we come to church, we hear the soaring language, the inspiration, and then, then throughout the week we go, but, but really though, am I really going to be able to get to that? Am I really going to attain that? Am I really going to, am I really going to accomplish that with my life? What I love about the letter is the Apostle Paul knows that we tend to get discouraged in moments like this. And like a very good pastor, he makes himself vulnerable at the end of this passage. He reminds us that he hasn't gotten there either. He reminds us that he's on the track too. He reminds us that he's on the journey as well. Philippians 3.13, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of this. I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't achieved it. I'm talking about something I'm in pursuit of, but I haven't gotten there yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Last point of today. Focus on the prize, not on your past. If you're struggling today, if you've fallen, if you're defeated, if you've tripped, can I just tell you, don't, don't focus on the fall. Focus on the prize. Don't focus on the problem. Focus on the prize. Don't focus on the pain. Focus on the prize. When Safan Hassan fell, in, two, fell in, that, in, that, in, that, in that race, qualifying heat, 1,500-meter race, she could have given up. Nobody would have even questioned it. It was the last lap. It was the last lap of the qualifying heat of the race. She was out. She was all the way in last place. Everybody was gone, rounding the the final lap to go uh, to the finish line. But she didn't dwell on the past, even the very recent past. She didn't even dwell on the fall. In that moment, she scrambled to her feet. She started running again. And this time she ran as though her life depended it it in an unparalleled display of determination and an unparalleled display of drive and single-minded focus Safan Hassan got up and she started chasing the pack she she caught up to the back of the pack and she started coming out after each runner on the pack and if you watch the video what you will find is is that in the very last straightaway, Sifan Hassan sprinted to the very front of the pack and crossed the finish line in first place. It wasn't by a long margin, but she got there first. Why? Because she had her eyes on the prize. She never stopped pursuing, never stopped reaching, never stopped straining. She kept going after the prize. Later that night, She came back and took gold in the 5,000 meter race. A few days later, she came back and took gold in the 10,000 meter race, becoming the only woman in Olympic history to medal in the 1,500, the 5,000, and the 10,000. Why? Eyes on the prize. Can I just tell you today? Eyes on the prize, church. Remember who we're going after. It's not on your righteousness, it's not on your own ability, it's not on your flesh. It's not on your strength. It's not on any of that. It's on following Jesus with your heart, soul, mind, and and body. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. When Stefan Hassan was interviewed, she said, I had nothing to lose. They asked her, how how'd you do that? I had nothing to lose. I was willing to die. She said, I was going to go to the end. Never give up. Can I tell you, church, those of you who are struggling, feeling defeated, feeling deflated, feeling depleted, can I just tell you, keep your eyes on the prize. We don't look to the right. We don't look to the left. We look unto Jesus. We look unto Jesus. Like the Apostle Paul, we haven't taken hold of it yet. We haven't reached it yet. We're on the path, but we haven't gotten there yet. We haven't achieved ultimate spiritual holiness we haven't experienced complete and total victory in Jesus, complete and total perfection and glorification in Jesus. But one thing we do, church, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, we press on. We press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Can I just tell you today, if you're tired, press on. If you're discouraged, press on. If you're defeated, press on if the enemy has come against you press on when the storm clouds rise press on church when darkness encroaches press on when the relationship falters press on when the doctor gives up hope press on when the loneliness sets in press on when the shadows surround you press on when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death press on when you stumble When you trip, when you fall, press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I count myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. Church, let's keep our eyes on the prize. Father, we thank you. For how beautiful, powerful, transformative your word is. We're in your presence now. We're like the cloth in the dye. Your Holy Spirit is here. We cannot change ourselves. Only you can transform us, only you can make us into the image of your Son. It's only your righteousness that matters. It's not by our flesh. It's by our faith in you. And so today we turn away from ourselves. We turn away from our failures. We turn away from our past. We turn away from our struggles. We turn away from our fears and anxieties. We focus our faith on you. We put our trust in you. We ask you, Lord, even in this moment, to reach into the depths of our soul and draw us into deep, gnosis, loving knowledge of you. Let us experience you firsthand. Let us know you deeply, intimately. Let us repent before you. Let us be vulnerable before you. Let us open our life and be found in you. Let us throw away like garbage all of our own accomplishments and accolades in order that we may gain you, in order that we may focus only on you and rely only upon your righteousness to draw us into relationship with you. God, we love you, we thank you, we praise you, and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen, amen.